Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Andres. And I am Eddie Quinones. And welcome back, everyone, to another season of the Best Player Wins Fantasy Football podcast. Yeah, Eddie, how have you been? Have you been looking forward to this for a while? It's been been quite a long time since we recorded our last episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was just thinking about I mean, I hit you up the other day and I was like, damn, I was like, yo, when are we going to record? Because I was like, I've been itching to record this episode and just get back into the swing of it again. Yeah, excited to get the season kicked off. It is uh, currently Wednesday, September 1st. Our draft is going to be this Sunday, the 5th. So looking forward to that. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone, for our second season of doing the podcast. Of course, this is our fourth year hosting the best player wins fantasy football league. Uh, but at first I wanted to go through a couple things just really quickly that I wanted to make everyone aware of at the top of the football season for the podcast here. First, I wanted to welcome Kevin into the league. Kevin Sinan is one of Nick's buddies. He's an assistant coach under Nick for the varsity wrestling program at Hampton. So that is his connection to Nick and how he was brought into the fold to replace Keegan, who uh, last year was his last year in our league. So welcome Kevin to the league. Another thing that's changed from last season is our buy-in last year was $25. This year we we voted as a league at the end of last season to double it to 50. I'm sure we'll probably all be happy with that buy-in. I think that'll make everyone a little bit more invested and I'm not anticipating an increase in the buy-in because I think 50 is a nice sweet spot where it's serious for everyone but it's not damaging anyone's pockets if they're not, you know, winning any of the payouts. The big one that I think everyone should be excited for is the league trophy. Since we increased the buy-in this year, we finally decided to splurge and get a trophy for the champions and not only take some money home every season, but to actually be able to have a super cool trophy. I'm sure hopefully everyone has seen it by now. I've sent pictures of it both online and the one that I or you know, the trophy that I got in person. Hopefully everyone likes it. I think it's sweet. It's actually sitting over in my living room right now. I put it all together. Looks awesome. So that'll go to the league champion every year. Uh, something new that's going to be pretty major. I think it's going to have hopefully the effect that we would like it to. We're introducing a league median to the weekly scoring this season, and it's going to be regular season only. So strict head-to-head matchups only for the playoffs. But in the regular season, there is going to be a second matchup for every team each week with the quote-unquote league median. And what the league median is is it will track, or I should say, Eddie and I will have to track the median score between the sixth highest scoring team and the seventh highest scoring team each week so that in the second matchup, the top six scorers weekly get a second win added onto their record and the bottom six scorers will take a loss. So you can either go 0-2, 1-1, or 2-0 each week. Of course, ESPN will not track that. Eddie and I will have to track that manually. So we will give you guys standings updates probably both in the chat and on the podcast, maybe not on the podcast. I don't know if I want to go through the full standings every week, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Definitely give you at least a weekly update of the standings in the group chat. Um, since that is what we're going to manually set the pre- the playoff bracket based on is not only the head to head record, but the combined record against the league median, the playoff seating tiebreaker that has also changed from last year. If you remember, I'm sure Jake remembers there's a lot of confusion with, the final playoff spot and how ESPN determined the seeding for it. 
because of the different head-to-head records against people that were tied with the same record. There's just way too much going on, and it was it was so so confusing that Eddie and I actually talked about Jake as if he was a playoff team in our playoff preview, but then we found out from ESPN that he wasn't. I had to contact support. It's this whole debacle. So this year, we changed the playoff seeding tiebreaker to total points scored, and that is split out to the 100th decimal place in our scoring system. So there should be no ties. should be very straightforward this year. And then as far as head-to-head schedule, this isn't necessarily a change, but since the NFL expanded to a 17-game schedule, there's now 18 weeks in the regular season, we are going to play 14 head-to-head matchups. And the way that that'll work out is you'll play everyone at least once, and then you your first three matchups of the season, you'll actually get them at the end of the regular season as well. So the first three opponents that you play, you will play them twice. It was just at random. But then our playoffs will be one-week playoff matches in weeks 15, 16, and 17, with week 18 as kind of a blank week because we don't want people's starters to be sat and it ruin a championship round. So those are kind of all of our new changes. Uh, I know it's a laundry list of things. Feel free to ask any questions in the group chat if you have them. But... Eddie, let's jump into our main content for this week's episode, which is going to be our draft preview. Um, and let's let's first talk about some of the injuries that we've that we've been getting the breaking news on lately, and talk about how we think that those are going to affect the draft. So the first question, and I'll let you lead us off, Eddie, that I have is after the season-ending injuries to Cam Akers, Travis Etienne, and J.K. Dobbins, how do you foresee the running back landscape changing within the draft? Yeah, I, I kind of to think about this one for a little bit. I'm, I can't see it changing too much um, just because none of those guys I would really consider top tier, right? and those top tier guys are always going to be taken regardless. Now, if there was a difference when one of the top tier guys was hit, like a, a Chubb or CMC or even Saquon again or anything along those lines, um, I could see kind of the landscape changing a little bit just because then people would, would start making some different decisions, but I, I don't think it – it'll change too much. I do think that James Robinson's stock has shot way up again. And I think he's at a value where people like it close to coming in before they even drafted Travis Etienne, Um, along with Hyde getting a little bit of an additional value as being the primary backup now behind him. So, Yeah, I think I'm mostly in agreement with you there. I think that the running backs are going to dominate the first two rounds in our draft. Um, not necessarily as in that they'll be, let's say, 80% of the picks, but I think you're going to see a lot of running backs picked in the first two rounds. And while Travis Etienne wasn't being drafted early, he was one of the higher upside backs that lasted past the first four rounds or so in most mocks. The other two, J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers, were being drafted pretty early, and because they were the guys that were available toward the mid to end of the second round previously for managers who elected not to draft a running back in the first round. I think that by those options being removed, it will effectively push running back as a whole up the board a little bit. I I think I would bet that we hit or just barely missed the mark of about 15 running backs being drafted in the first two rounds. So 15 in the first 24 picks would be my guess. I can't point to exactly why, and I didn't really look at ADP to formulate that opinion. I just have a gut feeling that I think is probably amplified by these three key running back options uh, getting injured for the entire season. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I get that. I, I actually have kind of the opposite kind of uh, outlook on the first couple rounds in the draft. I don't – while running backs are always going to be big in, in any league, I think a lot of people are starting to notice that the quarterback does have some serious value in our league just because that double quarterback. And I know we, we kind of go over this a little bit later, but I think that we're probably going to have a record high quarterback taken not only in the first round this year, but I think in the first two rounds. Um, I, I want to say that there's probably the number that I'm looking at is probably like six or seven in the first two rounds, which is high just in any draft, but in our past drafts, I think the highest we've had in the first two rounds, and I think you had the statistic pulled further down, I think it's three or something like that in the first two rounds or four. So I expect that number to take a pretty big jump this year. Yeah. And the flip side, we're going to talk about it more later, as you just alluded to, yeah. but the flip side of me saying that I think running backs are going to dominate the first two rounds is what I really think is going to happen is running backs and quarterbacks are going to dominate the first two rounds. I think that there's going to be maybe a couple wide receiver and tight end picks sprinkled in there, but I think you're going to see 20 out of the 24 picks be quarterbacks or running backs. Um, That would be probably the number that I would expect between those two positions. But you know, talking about quarterbacks and running backs, let's let's talk about two guys specifically at those positions. Do you think that the injuries hampering Dak Prescott and Saquon Barkley this preseason will impact their stock on draft day? And and if you do think so, by how much? Yeah, I think I personally think Saquon a little bit more than Dak in in perspective as to Dak probably wouldn't have gotten taken in the first round, he's probably a second round guy early in the second round, the shoulder thing, I think might push him back to mid, mid to late second round. Um, it just depends how many people want Dak or not. I think Saquon will probably take the biggest hit. Cause when he's healthy, I think he's a top three pick guy. You know what I'm saying? Like he's up there. He's that kind of guy. I think Saquon might even drop to early second round, unless someone's desperate enough to pick him up at the end of the first round. Um, but we've had that discussion before and you kind of know where I sit with, the value of certain players with those types of injuries coming into a year and everything. But yeah, I think, I think Saquon perspectively will get a, a bigger of a hit kind of going from a top three guy to early second round, mid second round guy. Yeah. I uh, actually fall on the other side. I don't really think that the injuries uh, hampering these guys are going to affect their draft day stock. While I would personally approach this duo with caution, I think that someone in our league, you know, there's of course 12 of us. I think somebody is going to kind of throw caution to the wind, so to speak on both of these guys, simply for the upside that they've shown us in the past. I'd actually venture to guess that neither of these guys are going to make it out of the first round, Uh, which again, I would not feel comfortable buying at that price on these two. But the upside for each is top three at their their respective positions. And you wouldn't have to try too hard to convince me that each of these two players have the upside to finish number one overall at their respective positions. So I think with these two, it's all about risk tolerance. Um, But I will caution everyone to say, uh, it's it's actually a, a phrase that Jake likes to use a lot. You can't win your league in the first two rounds, but you can certainly lose it. So these guys have... Great upside, um, like I said, potentially number one overall at their position upside. But you know, based on the fact that the the cost is being pushed down from injury and not so much from us trying to predict usage or something else like that, you definitely have to be aware of the risk of taking these two and them getting you know re injured. 
Yeah. So that I, is kind of where I fall on it. Yeah. And I, and, and I agree that to, to an extent on that, I think there's 12 picks in the first round and there's 12 teams and it, it's hard for me seeing it's, I mean, it's not hard for me to see 12 other picks that have higher value that I think are less risky with those 12 picks. I think there's a lot, there's 12 other guys in the league that I would rather choose over them within those first 12 picks that are less risk for your first round pick. But again, like you said, I know someone will probably take him. Kyron's probably going to end up with Saquon in the first round as he's had him for like three years. <laughs> so yeah. Which, that, which means he's destined to get hurt again. Exactly. So how about you <laughs> don't draft him actually just for real life purposes here? Yeah, Eddie, for those of you that don't know, or those of you that may have forgotten from last season as a big Giants fan, so of course he wants to see his man Saquon Barkley yes. uh, pop off of the season and be running back one overall. But let's, uh, let's, let's step back and, and kind of talk big picture here, Eddie, for the draft. Um, looking at different strategies, let's talk about uh, our favorite strategy in a vacuum and our least favorite. Of course, every draft room is different, so you kind of have to play the room or play the board mm -hmm. uh, differently if you're playing in one league versus another. But in a vacuum, all else equal, uh, we're going to talk about favorite and least favorite strategies. And I'll actually lead us off. My favorite strategy, and it's going to sound probably a little vanilla, but it's best value available. Uh, the reason why is that this one... I'll admit takes a little bit more risk tolerance and more careful maneuvering in my opinion, but I think it sets you up the best among all strategies. If you truly stick to it, if you couldn't tell by its name, this strategy is simply composed of taking the best value on the board, of course, in your own opinion at nearly all times throughout the draft. And it's really hard to execute this strategy because it requires more real time decision-making than a, than, you know, premeditating a draft strategy but I think the potential competitive advantage it can yield is one less quote-unquote lineup hole or at least more elite talent to cover your lineup holes than other teams have who premeditate their draft strategy. And I have no problem admitting this um, since this is probably the route I'm going to go, but this is, this is probably the strategy that I'm going to elect this Sunday during our draft. Um, and I think it's, I'll say this, it's admittedly easier to designate this as your draft strategy if you pick at the end of the round like I happen to um, pull for our draft order selection. But Eddie, what is your favorite draft strategy in general? Yeah, I think I kind of agree with what you're saying there. I think being at the beginning of the round, I think to a degree, you, you kind of know what you're going to get, especially if you're in the first three or four picks, like you have an idea. So it's a little easier to kind of set a strategy from there towards the end of the draft or the round, you really don't know what you're going to get. So your strategy kind of changes. I, I think to me, it's hard to really pick a favorite in terms of kind of what I like within a draft strategy is just considering our past three league champions, I think have had different strategies, I think every year coming into the draft. So, you know, last year, the strategy was different from a couple of years ago. Some people want to go quarterback heavy and grab a great quarterback early on. And as we've seen in our league, that's pretty successful to do it that way. You get a quarterback, especially with a two quarterback league, it'll, it'll kind of set you up pretty well for the future, just in case of your quarterbacks and consistency there. Um, but again, as always in most leagues, if you set up your running backs in a good way within the first two, three rounds, you're pretty set to be one of the highest scoring teams in the league. Um, 
So it kind of, it's up in the air for me, what my favorite is. It all just really depends on, on what you like and they've proven to win, I think, regardless in our league. So. Yeah. If you remember last year, Damon was our league champion and he actually drafted Lamar in the first round and then Josh Allen in the fifth round. So he took an early quarterback strategy the year before. Uh, Nick was our league champion and he is a renowned late quarterback enthusiast. So he drafted quarterback very late the year before that I was our league champion, but of course we were a one QB league. And I, I think I would have been in the past a late quarterback truther as well. So I'm, I'm pretty sure going back to that draft, I took a, a quarterback later than everyone else. So it's just like you said, different strategies have worked for our champions over the past three years. Sounds like, being at the number two spot, you don't want to spoil your strategy yet. And I get that because <laughs> yep. there's a lot riding on, you know, you're, you're going to get a top two player in the league, but then yep. you have to wait to see, I don't know, 17 or 18 elite players get taken until your next pick. So I get not wanting to yeah. spoil it. And I get that my favorite strategy is a little bit more vague and not really revealing anything, but I, I, I do have a strategy in mind and I already know who's going number one. I've been in contact with Mike and, like hey just out of curiosity who are you taking at one i was like i'm i just kind of want to know and and he let me know and i think it's a smart choice that he's going to be making so i think for me it's just kind of coming off of whatever choice he makes and kind of moving on from there so all right well then in that case let's talk about least favorite strategy and i you should in theory have no problem opening up in detail about this one eddie since you would presumably not be taking your least favorite strategy for our draft this Sunday. Let's hear it. I think my least favorite strategy is, is, is going wide receiver or tight end heavy early in a draft. I think that just doesn't really make too much sense, especially with all the talent in those other positions. I understand if you're towards the tail end of a, of a draft and you have the turn and all the elite running backs are gone and you want an elite tight end or a wide receiver. Okay. That makes a little bit of sense, but I just, from past experience, I've just never seen much success come from taking a wide receiver and a tight end in your first two picks or vice versa or the other way around. So, Yeah, I think there's a lot more risk baked into that strategy. I think that aside from injury, let's, you know, let's assume that your first two picks aren't being injured. I, I want to say that going some version of running back, running back, or running back quarterback, or, or some some strategy where you're mixing in a running back or a quarterback probably provides the highest floor of a first combination of two picks. Um, so a wide receiver tight end or a wide receiver wide receiver stack is risky in that way. I definitely agree with that. But I'll kind of transition you know, what you were saying into what Miley's favorite strategy is, because I guess it it somewhat plays off of that and it's position stacking. And this is the old running back, running back adage, or in in some cases I've even heard this year that people are considering a quarterback, quarterback stack in the first two rounds or some iteration of that where people specifically want to get a particular position with their first one, two, three, four picks, whatever it is. Um, And while I understand that this strategy is aiming at minimizing the effect of positional scarcity on your roster's composition, I think it really boxes you into a particular quote-unquote draft route, I'll call it, where come rounds like five through seven, for example, 
you may not be able to take who you think is the best player available because you already are too stacked at a particular position and your needs are too great at other positions to continue to ignore those. Um, so this strategy can certainly work if bad injury luck does not hit your team in the season. But I'll say anecdotally, I th- and when I say that, I mean like I don't actually, I'm not looking at any data on this, but I think that it typically takes some good injury luck to maximize the benefits of a roster constructed with this position stacking strategy. That being because if you specifically focused on one position, which you know would result in intentionally weakening the other areas of your roster as a byproduct of that strategy, you're really going to need those key elite contributors at the positions that you stacked to stay healthy or else your team's really going to suffer. Um, and this is more crucial to this particular strategy than best player available, in my opinion, because you've likely capped the number of elite talent that you garnered for your roster in total if you put specific positional constraints on your early round picks in the draft. So hopefully that theory kind of is sound and you're following my line of logic, but that's why I don't like um, being hard stuck to position stacking in a draft. Yeah, and and I agree. I think the only kind of rebuttal that I would have to that is I think the safest position to do that especially with our league's format with the restriction of a third quarterback is stacking two quarterbacks early within your first two, three, four picks, just because it's a little bit safer. You're taking the highest valued guys at quarterback and you can't get another one after you get two. So you're pretty much there while you do kind of weaken your strength at either running back or wide receiver. Um, I think the points that those quarterbacks are usually pulling in can usually make up for that difference to a degree, not completely. Uh, but again, injury plays a big role in the consistency of that and everything. But I do agree with pretty much everything else on that. Yeah, and it's an interesting thought too of like, I think that a quarterback, quarterback stack, if you pulled what positions you could stack between quarterback, quarterback, running back, running back, and wide receiver, wide receiver among the owners in our, or the managers in our league, my guess is that the if if people are ranking them in terms of riskiest to safest, people might even rank the riskiest as the quarterback stack. But you bring up a good point, Eddie, that if you stack two quarterbacks early, the separation that you create between from your team's quarterback duo to other teams is closed right there. Because if you're talking about running back or wide receiver, yeah, you might have the best one-two combo at those two positions. But where other teams can catch you is with their depth. If they have, let's say, four wide receiver twos, but you have the number one and number two overall wide receiver, the gap between your team and their team in the wide receiver room specifically is actually not as great as you might think because their depth kind of covers them Mm -hmm. and covers that gap between your talent and theirs. With quarterback, you know, our league, you can't not you cannot roster more than two quarterbacks unless it's for a bye week or unless your quarterback is injured. So like you said, Eddie, once you get those two quarterbacks, say you got two elite top five quarterbacks, the book is closed there. You've created separation where the only way for other people to now catch the gap between their team and yours in the quarterback room is to trade for more elite quarterbacks. So I think that's a great point that you brought up. Yeah, That's a great segue into what we're going to talk about next, which is, are we going to see a quarterback frenzy 2.0? Um, so last year we saw the number of quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds, which was eight 
double from the previous season. In 2019, we saw four. Uh, this was primarily driven by twice as many quarterbacks being drafted in the first round of 2020 last year, which was two, as were taken in round one of the 2019 draft, which was just Patrick Mahomes one. But I think even just two years ago, that was kind of seen as a revolutionary pick, Mahomes in the first round, even in a two-quarterback league, because none of us were familiar with two-quarterback format. Um, and it was also driven by two and a half times as many quarterbacks being taken in round three of last year's draft, which was five total, as opposed to the number taken in 2019, which was just two. So this season, I think there's a legitimate argument personally for five total quarterbacks being deserving of a first round selection. I'm not going to say who, because I don't want to necessarily <laughs> give away valuable information. But the question is... How will the league or how will our league collectively treat the position in the draft? And to add some context, six of the eight quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds last year finished in the top 12 quarterbacks on a points per game basis, effectively delivering on their draft day price of being considered a quarterback one. So Eddie, I'll ask you, given that hit rate of about 75% success of quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds being QB ones, would you expect there to be even more urgency to draft quarterbacks this year, or would you expect there to be less urgency, or, or are you kind of expecting no change from last year? I think a little bit more urgency coming into it. I mean, we saw a big jump from year one to year two, and I think that's because people realized, okay, if you get good quarterbacks early, especially ones that are considerably always healthy, it's a good recipe. Um, so kind of looking at that, like I said earlier, I do expect it to take a jump. I, I see probably a total of eight or nine guys that can be taken in the first two rounds. And I think that there's a chance that towards the tail and that number will kind of get up there. I think we'll have six, seven, eight guys taken in the first two rounds, in my opinion, um, in terms of quarterbacks. So I do see more of an urgency coming into this year, wanting quarterbacks earlier in the draft. Yeah, I want to say over the past two years, I think only three total quarterbacks were taken in the first two rounds of each of our last two drafts. I think in 2019, it was Mahomes in the first round, and then I believe two were taken in the second round. I think Aaron Rodgers and somebody else, maybe Russell Wilson. Last year, uh, both Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes were taken in the first round, and then I believe we saw another quarterback in the second round. I can't recall who, but I think it was three Russell total. Wilson, I took him. Was it Russell? Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I took Russell in the second Three total in the first two rounds each of the past two years. I 100% expect that number to increase over the first two rounds specifically for this season because, as I just mentioned a little bit ago, I, I could see potentially five quarterbacks being deserving of a first-round pick. So if you, it depends on how you scale it. Like If you're saying first three rounds, maybe it stays about the same in terms of number of quarterbacks taken, but if you're talking about kind of what the weighted average of where these quarterbacks are going to be taken, I would say that there's probably going to be more urgency. I'm going to guess that even if there's still eight quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds, I'm going to guess that those quarterbacks are taken much earlier than they have been over the past two seasons uh, before this. So I'll say definitely I expect there to be a little bit more urgency. And I don't want to really you know, beat the same drum but I think it goes back to what you first mentioned earlier and we kind of talked about in detail of once you draft your two quarterbacks, 
there's no way for other people to catch up to you if you if you invest early because there's no such thing as QB depth since we can only each roster two quarterbacks and that's why I think there'll be there will be uh, more urgency and we have yeah. already mentioned it but the, but our our league champion from last year Damon invested in quarterback early last year and obviously had great success yeah great success and then <laughs> <laughs> and uh, coming off of that I mean and he ended up using Lamar as some trade bait towards the end of the year to really set himself up so if nothing, drafting a great quarterback early in the season is good for some trade bait later in the year for a position that you might be lacking in. Again, that's a risk, but I I do expect the turns this year to be a little more interesting than they have been in the previous years because I think people at the turns are going to be kind of thinking, okay, I'm not picking for another how many ever picks it is. So it's one of those mm-hmm. things that I think you might see some people reaching for some positions or just kind of reaching for some straws here or there or kind of stacking certain positions just to kind of move forward from there. So, Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. And I want to say that the only two, let's call them busts, it's really not their fault, but uh, Dak Prescott and Drew Brees both got hurt last year. Dak was actually, I think, the number two or three overall quarterback on a points-per-game basis. So if he didn't get hurt, presumably he would have had a great year. Drew Brees, I don't know, maybe not so much. He ended up retiring, but... You know, quarterback has kind of been a lock of a position if you invest early so long as they don't get hurt. So it'll be I'm I'm very curious. I think that this is this is the one position that's an ever-changing landscape in our two quarterback format. It's the one position that I expect there to be some kind of major change in how the league views it uh on a year by year basis. So we'll be interested to see what happens here in about four days. So let's move on to segment called Bold Predictions Player Edition, and we'll actually follow this up with a Bold Predictions Team Edition in next week's episode after we have our draft and we can see everyone's roster. But since we haven't had the draft yet and we are you know, just doing a draft preview, we decided to do a player edition of this segment this week. And uh, let's jump right in. Eddie, which player drafted outside the first three rounds, so let's say ADP outside of the top 36, is most likely to return first round value this year? I think to me, this was a, a pretty easy answer. I think just because of the landscape of that offense and how it's going to be, uh, I think it's CD Lamb. I know ADP has him floating around that number. Um, he might be a little higher, I believe. So I think I think CD Lamb is last year, he, he did really well, had him on my roster for a while, and, and he contributed to my offense a pretty good amount. So I think this upcoming year, it's just going to be a bigger year for him um, with Amari Cooper back on the field, CD lamb. You got Dak Prescott in the back, in the backfield there with Ezekiel Elliott. I think it'll really open up some lanes for him and give him one-on-one coverage out there. So I expect CD lamb to kind of make that jump. I like that pick. And I was almost nervous that you're going to pick, make the same pick as me, but I, it totally makes sense why you didn't. Cause you're probably, uh, you probably don't have a, a ton of love for this guy since he's a divi- he's on a division rival of the New York Giants. My pick was Jalen Hurts, which uh, I think, I don't know, maybe that'll go over as controversial. I think a lot of people are torn on how they value Jalen Hurts because his own organization hasn't necessarily expressed confidence in him as quote-unquote the guy. But he definitely has the skills to be a fantasy monster with his rushing ability, and if he can make good passes from the pocket and instill confidence in the coaching staff early. 
I think he could be this year's Kyler Murray, threatening even top three overall at the quarterback position. And he currently has a fourth round ADP, but I honestly have no clue how well that will align to how he is going to be valued in our league's draft in particular. He's probably, in my opinion, the most personified risk-reward pick this year, but I think the reward... um, I, I even go back and forth myself with this, but I do think that the reward is worth the risk. It's still an early pick because your fourth round pick is still an early pick. Mm-hmm. But if he does turn into a first round player, obviously that would be uh, a great investment. We'll see if he actually does go anywhere around the fourth. He could go much earlier. He could go much later. I have no idea how it's going to play out in our league. Yeah. On and, the flip side. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Eddie. There you go. And one thing that I wanted to mention, by Sunday, they might not even have called their starter yet between Minshew because they just brought Minshew in. So it's a big question mark or Jalen hurts. So whoever takes him on Sunday, if there's no answer, you can find out very quickly if it's a risk or a reward type of deal. So that's definitely, I think that's a very out of any quarterback that you can really take this year. I think that one has the biggest question mark just because of, like you said, just recent things that have happened. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think we're actually going to touch on that a little bit later. We are, but this is a good good time or a good stopping point for me to clarify something that maybe not everyone read through the entire league constitution document that I sent out this off season. Well, let's say for Jalen hurts and Gardner Minshew where they haven't been named starter uh, or neither one of them have been named the starter for the Eagles or I know Andy Dalton has been reinforced as the week one starter for the Chicago bears, but let's just say it was still an open quarterback competition in Chicago, such as it is in San Francisco right now between Jimmy G and Trey Lance in cases such as those, the way that we are treating that for our draft where people can't draft more than two quarterbacks is the first person to take a quarterback from an NFL team then gets the rights to all quarterbacks on that team. So whoever is named the starter in in San Francisco, uh, the person that drafts, I'm presuming that they'll draft Trey Lance. I don't think anybody's going to take Jimmy G before Trey Lance in our draft. But the person that drafts Trey Lance in our draft, let's just say two days after that, the 49ers come out and say, Jimmy Garoppolo is our week one starter. The person that took Trey Lance in our draft will then be able to drop Trey Lance, pick up Jimmy Garoppolo, and, you know, quote-unquote, have the rights to the entire 49ers quarterback room so that eventually, assuming that Trey Lance takes over as the starter, let's just say in week four, you, that same manager will also be able to drop Jimmy Garoppolo and get dibs on Trey Lance as the starter for the 49ers. So that's just kind of a little tidbit about our league. It's it's hard to do it any other way or else you start to get into a lot of gray areas where you're you're kind of being unfair to managers because they won't even have a chance at a starting quarterback since we have 12 teams, two quarterback league, that's 24 quarterbacks. That means at any given moment, there is only eight other starting quarterbacks on the waiver wire. So you can kind of understand um, why we put that rule in place is let's just say a bunch of starting quarterbacks got hurt. We may not even technically have enough for everyone to have a go-to option as a backup. So that's, that's why we implement that. Um, but if you do have any questions about that, feel free to, to ask Eddie or myself. thought that was a good stopping point there to, to clarify. Yeah. And I completely forgot about that. So yeah, hopefully yeah. everybody either read the, the, that part of the constitution or is listening before the draft so that we don't have any confusion. I'll probably send out a note 
in the in the league group chat one more time before we start the draft just to make sure we don't have one team take Trey Lance and then a different team take Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't really know why anybody would want Jimmy G, but it could happen. Who knows? Uh, let's look at the flip side of this bold prediction segment. Which player drafted inside the first two rounds do you think is most likely to finish outside the top 50 players this year, Eddie? I think I have a personal beef with this guy, Loki, because last year he just wasn't getting any red zone love. And I think this is why this is going to go back to me feeling the same way. And I think it's Aaron Jones. He's obviously going to be taken most likely in the first round, if not tail end or the beginning of the second round. Um, with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams both on the same team last year, Aaron Rodgers threw the ball to Devontae Adams, I'd say probably like 90% of the time in the red zone. So you have to rely on Aaron Jones to consistently rush for close to 100 yards, um, get a few receptions here and there to really be able to contend. You can't count on him for for touchdowns. And I know last year that it screwed me over towards the end of the season and into the playoffs because he just they were sitting at the two-yard line and, they're not running the ball. They're just throwing it up to Devontae. Now it's working for them because Devontae's still catching the ball and scoring. But as a fantasy owner for me, I think Aaron Jones is that guy that could possibly fall out of the top 50 for next year. Yeah, that's a good pick. I was having a really tough time looking at the top 24 players according to ADP and, and really envisioning any one of these guys finishing outside the top 50 overall because like pretty much everyone is a stud. Uh, but the guy for yeah. me was Austin Eckler a fellow running back. A lot of people are pretty excited about Austin Eckler for fantasy this year. And if it were based on talent alone, I would say it would be for great reason as he is a multifaceted back who has a great pass catching ability. But given his injury history and recent comments from the head coach of the Chargers, Eckler's usage might not align with where I've seen him go in most mocks and according to his ADP. Here's actually a quote that the head coach recently came out and said he... He said, we really believe in having that diversity, that variety of runners that can really change the pace on a defense. Um, he also mentioned that using different styles of running backs based on the flow of the game is something that the Chargers are going to look to do this season. So again, pretty much everyone is a stud in the first two rounds based on ADP. But if I had to pick one guy to bust based on his price, I think it would be Eckler just based on that you know, preseason threat to his workload. So yeah, de and definitely having a, a committee of running backs to run behind isn't always good for a fantasy owner. I mean, it's never worked out if, if an offense has a committee that they go to of two, three running backs, obviously that running back, that main running back is not getting any much love. He's not going to really be getting that many fantasy points. So it's a good one. So there you have it. Uh, the player that I have as being drafted outside the first three rounds currently, who I think is most likely to return first round value this year is Jalen Hurts for Eddie at CD Lamb. Or our players that are being drafted inside the first two rounds that we think are most likely to finish outside the top 50 this year. Eddie has Aaron Jones. I have Austin Eckler. This is going to be quick hitting here, Eddie. And you can add as much context as you want. I didn't add any context. It's just kind of fire off the hip for me. But we're going to make some unrelated bold predictions for each of the main three positions. So we'll start with quarterback. Eddie, give me a bold prediction for a quarterback this year. Justin Fields will finish in the top eight in fantasy quarterbacks this year. Top eight in total top points? Eight. Total points. 
Okay, he's not even a points per game basis. Nope. You think he's going to take nope. over early and he's going to hit the ground running? Yep. I like the bold prediction. Uh, my quarterback bold prediction is if he stays healthy all season, Dak Prescott will finish as QB1 overall. That That's is my bold, bold prediction. <laughs> that is bold. Yeah. Okay. So I, I like that. I'm actually going to turn around and give you my bold prediction for a running back. And it, it is that Saquon Barkley will finish in the top three running backs this season on a points per game basis. So I really stuck to my guns of, of saying that these two have a lot of upside from earlier. I actually had exactly what you just said down earlier today, but I was like, there's a guy that I want to talk about. And it was Alvin Kamara. I okay. think this will be his worst fantasy year in terms of fantasy points per game. Obviously there's more games in the year. So he's not, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to score underneath. I think it's 170 is his lowest in a total year. I don't mm-hmm. think he's scoring underneath that, but points per game basis. I think he'll have his lowest this year. And his worst. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Kamara's another guy that I'm personally torn about. Like, he obviously has top three, not just like running back, but top three potential overall player upside in fantasy football. But I also am a little bit cold on him myself. I just, I don't know. Kamara's not my guy, really. Yeah. He's certainly going to be an asset to whichever team he's yeah. on, but I just don't know if he's going to be mm-hmm. that top three overall player. He had his best fantasy year last year. Statistically, he had the most points for, and just in total in his own career, he had best points per game. But one of the big question marks is the quarterback. As soon as Drew Brees left and they brought in Jameis or even Taysom Hill, just wasn't the same. He just wasn't getting the same kind of love. So I just don't expect his eliteness to stay kind of in that level of, uh, of kind of a, a top, 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 top running back as in top five. I think he'll probably fall out of there. Um, he It wasn't that bad for me to pick him as my uh, first round, first two rounds picked in top out of top 50, just because I can't mm-hmm. see that happening. Right. But I, I do see him falling a bit from where he's going to be drafted at. Yeah, I respect the the, yeah. the bold prediction there. My last one is is pretty bold. I think it might be the boldest of the three considering the first two were predicated on players that have, you know, top 15 pick ADP. This last one is definitely not that. So my bold prediction for a wide receiver is that Antonio Brown will finish with the most wide receiver one finishes. That is top 12 wide receiver on the week among all Buccaneers wide receivers this season. So he will finish as a top 12 wide receiver during each week, the most often of any Buccaneers wide receiver this season. What is your bold prediction for a wide receiver? My bold prediction is Marquez Callaway will finish this season as a top five fantasy wide receiver. Wow. Yes. Wow. I thought my Antonio Brown (laughs) prediction was bold. This is, yeah. This is is out there. He's, he has been killing it so far this season. So him and Jameis have a great connection so far coming out of camp. Um, and with Michael Thomas missing half of the season, pretty much, um, I think it sets him up really well to just come in and just absolutely dominate for that offense. I'd like to take this moment to give a free piece of advice to anyone listening. Do not draft Michael Thomas. He's not going to play this year. Not at all. All right. That was, that was a fun uh, bold prediction segment. I'm, we're just now getting to the point where 
for our for Jake and I's baseball podcast, I can like start to look back at our bold predictions and and see if if we're if we're hitting on them. So I'm excited to eventually, you know, come end of season, look back at these and see how many of these we hit on. So let's get to the around the league portion of the podcast. Typically, there's going to be a lot more to talk about once we get to this point in the podcast, you know, moving forward once we once the season actually starts. But this week, we're actually just going to be talking about news and notes to wrap up the episode. But we still have a few interesting things to talk about with this news and notes section this week. The first being Deshaun Watson will enter the season on the Houston Texans 53-man roster, but the current plans of the organization are to make him inactive each week, presumably until the investigations on him are concluded. So, Eddie, do you think he's going to play at all this season? I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I don't think he will, um, just because of everything that's going on. I think Texans or wherever he goes – they're going to kind of end up sitting him just for a year till things die down and, and things get figured out. And then next year, I'll think he'll come back out and play, but I just, I can't see him playing this year. Yeah. I, I have the same opinion. I don't think that he ends up playing this year because I think that even once the investigation's clear on him, unless he is found completely innocent and this was, this is somehow proven to be complete defamation from 22 different women. I can't see the NFL not punishing him. So my guess is that the investigation doesn't finish early enough for the NFL to divvy out their full punishment and for him to make it back during our fantasy season. So that's why I say I don't think that he's going to play. And based on that opinion, I guess... Do you think that he's worth drafting at all? I know that we're both in agreement that he's probably not going to play, but in the off chance that he does, do you think that there's any wor- worthiness of him being drafted in our draft this Sunday? I think with the current structure of our quarterbacks and how it's set, you get the starting quarterback anyways with him because the starter technically hasn't been mentioned yet. So if if you want to take the risk of taking whoever the quarterback's going to be, um, then go for it. But for me, if you're going to draft him, it'd be late draft, last two three rounds. If, if you're going to do anything at that point, um, it's just it's tough for me to to really value anything less than that. I wouldn't even draft him at all, just because I wouldn't even be comfortable enough with who's his backup right now. Tyrod or Tarod Taylor. Yeah, there's no shot of taking Tyrod Taylor <laughs> in the draft. So, yeah, no, I mean, ba- it, yeah. I was going to say, you're basically waiting to draft your second quarterback until the very last pick of the draft if Deshaun Watson is in your draft plans. Because as you just said, based on our current structure, you're not actually going to draft Deshaun. I mean, you could, but you're you're really drafting the starting quarterback of the Houston Texans, and you're going to have to stick with that guy unless you go to a different waiver wire option until, and I should say really if Deshaun Watson even comes back this season. So I don't think based on that, that he's worth drafting at all. I will say this. Go ahead. If you happen to get lucky enough and he does play and you use your last pick of the draft form that has insane value to it because you drafted him so late. But again, that's, I would not. Imagine it's, Imagine somebody was just going to wait until the last pick of the or the last round of the draft to fill their Q- QB two anyway, 
and then breaking news comes out in the middle of our draft. Deshaun Watson <laughs> cleared of all investigations. We'll start be the week oh, named the week one man. starter, the Houston Texans. Just imagine that'd be for whoever that person is. I'd be happy for you because that the is- stars would align. Yes, the stars would align for yeah. sure. Last question I'll ask on Deshaun Watson. Do you think that he's going to be traded in real life from the Houston Texans this season? I think so. I, I know there was a few reports coming out this week that's saying that there's a few teams interested in him um, and wanting to obtain him. And for some reason, I want to say Miami was one of the teams that I saw, which that brings a question to me is to uh, their guy. Are they that confident in Tua or are they willing to risk Deshaun Watson not playing and bringing him in to, to take that that role? So, Yeah, I've heard conflicting reports, not necessarily that, um, that the stuff that you've heard isn't true, but I, I've, I've heard the same things that the Dolphins are interested in Deshaun Watson, but I've also heard like Dolphins beat reporters saying that that might be the Houston Texans sending out smoke signals to try to boost the interest. Deshaun Watson and that they're not actually interested at all. I don't know what's going on. I I think that if they traded for Deshaun Watson, obviously they have zero faith in Tua because they probably have to uh, pay a pretty penny for Deshaun Watson, and you're presumably not giving up a ton of assets unless you have zero faith in Tua. But yeah, I'm going to say that Deshaun Watson doesn't end up getting traded because I don't think that anybody is going to pay the current asking price from the Texans until the investigation is over. And I think that there's a lot of things that could change about Deshaun Watson's value, you know, pending the completion of that investigation. Like he might get, he might get suspended for like a full season. If let's just say everything comes out to be a hundred percent true of what the women came forward and said about him. So there's just so much unknown. Yeah, exactly. There's so much (laughs) unknown. So yeah. let's yeah let's uh let's keep talking about some quarterback news. So you already mentioned it, but Gardner Minshew II was recently traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a conditional six round pick. Uh, of course, he was traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Does this make you nervous about drafting Jalen Hurts? I think to a degree, but when you look at Philadelphia's depth at quarterback, there really isn't any. So while they are still bringing him in. I think it's a smart move by them, even if they just want him to be the backup quarterback and Jalen Hurts is starting. I think that's a good backup to have um, or vice versa. If they're bringing him in to start, then, yeah, that makes me a little nervous about Jalen Hurts. I think overall it's still a little nerve-wracking seeing a quarterback that hasn't proven himself yet kind of get thrown to the side a little bit like that by them bringing in another quarterback that has somewhat proven themselves just a little bit so it does make me a little nervous for Jalen yeah and if you notice the Jaguars really did it the right way with instilling confidence or like pushing their rookie quarterback but also instilling confidence in him in the same you know in the same breath because Mm -hmm. they said that it would be an open quarterback competition between Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew you know just to push Trevor Lawrence make him sharp in the preseason get his competitive juices flowing but then you know, behind the scenes, you knew that they were naming Trevor Lawrence the starter. So they did yeah. that as expected. And then they traded away the guy that he was competing with to basically say, we had confidence in you the full time, you know, the whole time behind the scenes. And we're not going to, we're not going to make you look over your shoulder your entire rookie season and worry about potentially losing your job if you go through a rough stretch. So they did it the right yeah. way. 
kind of the opposite with the Philadelphia Eagles. They benched Jalen Hurts late in the season last year, even though he wasn't playing bad at all. Now they trade for Gardner Minshew, who has proven to be a capable starter in the NFL. So that all kind of begs the question of, I'm assuming that Jalen Hurts is going to be the week one starter, but if he struggles, not just week one, but anytime during the season, do you think that the Eagles are going to actually allow him room to work through the growing pains? Or is the temptation of a passable starter in Minshew too much to resist in the most winnable division in football of the NFC East? I don't think they're going to allow him to kind of work it through. I think as soon as he has one bad game or maybe two, I think it's done. He's going to get pulled and they're going to put in Gardner Minshew and then it's going to start a whole dumpster fire in Philly because then Gardner Minshew is probably going to have a couple bad games. And it's just, I don't know. I just can't see the situation getting any better, especially since they haven't even named a starter yet. I believe like they haven't even said who's starting yet and they just traded for him. So I think it just makes the situation a little bit worse. Um, For me, I would love to see Jalen Hurts play Um, while he plays for the Eagles, who I hate, and while he played for Alabama, who I hate. I still like him as a quarterback, and I think he's a a great quarterback. He went to Oklahoma, and he did really well. So I would like to see him play. But, again, with Gardner Mitchell coming in, I just – I don't think any of them have any breathing room at all to make mistakes. Yeah, I think it's a really messy situation, and it adds to the risk that we talked that we talked about earlier with drafting Jalen Hurts in our fantasy draft this Sunday. So, it it's kind of a headache. I will say this: um, while that's certainly unsettling, if you're considering spending an early round draft pick on Jalen Hurts, the one consolation is that Gardner Minshew actually averaged over 18 points per game last year when he was the starting quarterback for the Jaguars, and that was one of the worst offenses in the league. The Eagles' offense isn't really much better because they have Miles Sanders and 160-pound Devontae Smith. And Dark Sega Whiteside, who they just cut Fulgham. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, who they just cut Fulgham for, Travis Fulgham. Um, their offense isn't much better, but... Basically, what I'm getting at is Gardner Minshew has proven to give you pretty good production, even in the worst of circumstances. So unless they do this thing where they're kind of playing a hot potato and benching these two guys in the middle of games and going back and forth, I think whoever owns the quarterbacks for the Philadelphia Eagles should be okay for fantasy. But it's certainly not without its risks because you're not going to be drafting you know, if if Jalen Hurts was the confirmed starter for the Eagles for 17 games this season, I think that he would be well worth a fourth round pick, let's just say. But if you're talking about six games from Hurts and 11 games from Minshew, or even vice versa, 11 games from Hurts, six from Minshew, I don't think that you're investing early round draft capital into the, to the Eagles quarterbacks. So it, it's just one of those things where I don't know. You just have to figure out your own personal risk appetite and decide whether yep. you're interested in, in taking on that quarterback room in the for the Philadelphia Eagles. Agreed. Uh, our last piece of news also relates to quarterbacks. It is the New England Patriots who just released Cam Newton and they announced Mac Jones as their week one starter. And he's going to actually be starting against his former teammate who he took over for at Alabama. This is interesting. Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins. Eddie, what was your reaction to this news? It was kind of surprising. Um, all, all fingers pointed to Cam starting the season, and then I think it would have eventually have gone over to Mac. 
throughout the season as it played out. Um, but I didn't expect them to kind of do it this way. I do think it'll be interesting to see Mac Jones kind of play, but again, it, it was surprising. Yeah, I was surprised too because I thought that Cam Newton was actually going to start week one. I know that the Patriots beat writers were all leaning Mac Jones, but I still thought, you know, Bill Belichick is kind of a traditional head football coach. He wants the rookie to learn under the veteran, even if it's a pretty poorly performing veteran like Cam Newton. But yeah, they, they just went cold turkey, cut him. And yeah. uh, that was pretty surprising to me. Uh, do you think that Cam Newton will start a game in the NFL this season? I believe so. I think there's enough teams out there with some question marks at quarterback that'll, that are going to bring him in. Um, especially so there are some reports from Dallas kind of doing their due diligence to try to bring him in with the Dak Prescott's question marks of his health and his shoulder and everything like that. I, I can, especially with the way that that offense is, is structured, I can see, Cam Newton going over there if Dak doesn't play for a couple weeks and, and him playing a couple games. Um, yeah, it was just definitely surprising. But I, I think Cam will start at least one game for someone this year. So I actually come on the other side. I, th I think he won't. The only path short of something that we totally can't predict, which is him being a backup somewhere where the starter gets injured, which I think is, is kind of what you're alluding to, I would say the only path where I'd be confident in him starting right now is if he signed with the Houston Texans. Um, but they kind of already have, I don't want to say something similar because I don't want to be stereotypical, but I think that they probably feel set enough with Terod Taylor that they don't, who knows, the Texans are a dumpster fire. But I'm guessing that they don't feel the need to go out and get Cam Newton because they... The difference between him and Terod Taylor at this point in their careers, I just don't think is so tangibly different that any NFL organization would see Cam as a major upgrade. But I will say with the state of all NFL teams right now and their quarterback situation, I think that that one is the, the one that's quote unquote most in flux to where I could see Cam Newton stepping in right now and potentially being the starter if they chose to sign him. So I don't think that there's a high chance of that happening. So I'm going to say no, Cam Newton will not start an NFL game this season, but he, he certainly could. We'll see, we'll see uh, where he signs. Cause I do expect him to sign and be a backup at bare minimum. Yeah. I agree. Uh, transitioning to the other guy in this piece of news, Mac Jones. Um, he's going to be playing the dolphins week one. And I mentioned that obviously he's going to be playing Tua, who he took over for at Alabama. He was entering his second year in the NFL. Mac Jones is, of course, a rookie who's getting the week one nod from one of the most successful franchises in all of sports. So I'm curious what you think, Eddie, since you're a big college football guy. Who do you think is going to have the better NFL career between Mac Jones and Tua Tagovailoa? I think in terms of the systems, I think Alabama and New England Patriots have a very similar system in the way that they run their teams with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. I think Mac Jones will have the better NFL career. I think he's coming into a situation where he's coming from one of the greatest, if not the greatest college football coach in history to one of the greatest NFL coaches in history. So I think that offense will work very well for him. It's meant for a pocket passer. It's not meant for a Cam Newton type of quarterback, unfortunately. So 
I think that Mac Jones and his current situation with the offense that he has around him, nothing too great, but still something that he can work with, I think sets him up a little bit better than Tua. Yeah, I think for quarterbacks in particular, system is everything. And that's not to say Tom Brady was a system quarterback. He, of course, is not, obviously, since he won the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers his first year leaving the Patriots organization. But I almost want to say in the same breath, hopefully this doesn't sound contradictory. I think Tom Brady spent so much time in the Patriots system that he knew what elements of that system to bring with him to his new organization at the, you know, in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, team. But I think the difference that you see here between Mac Jones and Tuataga Vailoa is I think that Mac Jones obviously has the support of his team. And Bill Belichick is heavily invested, obviously, since he cut his veteran, Cam Newton, his only other option, or I should say viable option at quarterback. He just totally cut ties with him. Um, so he's very heavily invested in Mac Jones and his success. Obviously, he's going to be building a system around him to succeed. Whereas in Miami, last year they were going back and forth between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tuatago Vailoa. This year, there's rumors coming out that they might be interested in Deshaun Watson. So it just seems to me like, based on the communication, that the organization is not 100% committed to Tua's success as the starting quarterback of their franchise. And because of that, I think that best case scenario, unless Tua gets going this year and is the franchise quarterback that Miami is hoping that he can be early in the season, I think that the question marks are only going to increase for him. And that the best case scenario from that point forward would be that he eventually gets traded or after his rookie deal, he ends up signing with a different organization and then kind of hits the ground running after that. But even in that best case scenario, you kind of have a delayed start to a successful career for Tua Whereas I expect Mac Jones, I don't think he's going to light the world on fire. I don't think that he's going to end up being the best quarterback from this draft, but I do think that he's going to find some pretty good success right away as a rookie and kind of start to build on that moving forward. So I will say um, that I agree with you. Mac Jones, I think will have more NFL success than Tua. Yep. I agree. Cool. Do you have anything to add or to share with the league before we get going with this draft here in a couple days? Uh, not not that I could think of. Uh, I will say good luck to everyone on the draft on Sunday. Um, it'll definitely be an interesting year. I think this will probably be the the best draft that we've had uh, in terms of this league, just considering we have so many people coming back and we've seen some different strategies work out this year. So I think we'll see some people kind of change up their strategies a little bit coming into the year and, and have some really interesting question marks in certain drafts. I think we'll see some reaches. Um, so yeah, pretty much all I have. Did you have anything else? No, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think this will be our most competitive draft that we have seen yet in this league. I th- I'm very confident in everybody's ability, um, as a fantasy football manager. So I'm looking forward to the draft. I'm looking forward yeah. to this season, yeah. but go ahead and take us out, Eddie. All right. Perfect. Well, with that being said, thank you everyone for tuning in to the first episode of season two for the best player wins fantasy football podcast everyone have a great day